This evening's reading is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, beginning at chapter 15. It's beginning at the first verse. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not, do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then... It was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you that you promise that your word will be a light unto our feet. Lord, that you, your spirit will open your word up to us so that we might see clearly Jesus, so that we might be pointed back to you. And Father, I pray that for us this evening, that as we, as we work through this creed, this, this document, incredibly old, that holds to the core of the Christian faith. Lord, would you remind us of what we believe? Would you win our hearts again with the good news of the gospel? Would it, would it cause us to worship, I pray? Would it cause us to rejoice? And as Paul prayed earlier, would it lead us to changed lives, changed behavior, changed character? Lord, that as we grasp these truths, they would be truths that are transformative, we pray. Amen. It's, um, it's the second bit of the Creed series that I've got to preach. Uh, and it's been really lovely, this series. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I think what I've enjoyed about it is reflecting on, on how what we believe it, is what is really going to shape our behavior. The convictions that we hold uh, about Jesus and about God the Father and about the Holy Spirit, 
They aren't just theoretical things, but actually what we believe about them changes the way we behave. It's why uh, meeting together like this and opening the scriptures is so important. What we believe transforms and changes who we are and how we behave. Let me give you uh, the most trivial example I could think of of this. Um, I think most people in the room believe that gravity exists. And I think that's the reason we don't jump off balconies. Uh, I've got a balcony up there. I think the reason we don't jump off balconies is mostly because we believe the implication that gravity exists. And if it really does exist, then it shapes my behavior. Mostly, I haven't yet jumped off St. Andrew's balcony. It's a very trivial example, but the same is true of our Christian discipleship. The truths that we confess, the truths that we say to each other, the truths that we hear preached week by week, these shape how we act and how we believe. Let me give you a, a slightly more relevant example. I believe that God created the world. And I think that truth, if I let that sink down into my heart, is a truth that changes how I view the world around me. We all know how, uh, how the way we treat the world is coming under closer scrutiny. And the belief that God created this and put us in charge as stewards of it, that has to change our behavior. What we believe changes our behavior. And I want us to think in that kind of logical progression as we go through the creed, because we're going to look at statements that, that we probably all know quite well, and ones that we go, yeah, I agree with that. But we want to make that connection from what we, what we say is true to how it changes the behavior. And maybe think, does what I believe to be true really change my behavior? We've uh, wonderfully, conveniently for me, uh, we've broken it up into three parts and we're going to have three sections of creed and three sections of what does this change. Uh, and then if you're a person that likes to know where we're going, when we get to discussion, there's going to be three questions uh, and you can think about those. Um, could I have the first section of the creed up? That would be lovely. Excellent. Uh, why don't we say this together because it'll, it'll help keep us on track. Uh, this is the first chunk of creed uh, that I've got this evening. Let's say together, he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. Like I say, we're on familiar ground, aren't we? These are the confessions <laughs> that uh, the Christians around the world say together. But we don't just confess that Jesus died, do we? It's more specific than that, and it's quite important that it's more specific than that. We confess that Jesus was crucified, and it's vitally important. If we, um, if we read through our Old Testament, particularly Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 21 tells us a part of uh, Jewish law, a part of uh, the teachings of the Jews, was that anybody who was executed or hung on a tree or a pole was under curse by God. But actually there were strict rules about taking people down because actually if people were held on a tree, they were considered to be cursed by God. And so how Jesus died is vitally important 
Because in saying we believe that Jesus was crucified, you're not just, uh, you're not just noting an interesting bit of history. You're saying something profoundly theological. When we say that Jesus died, crucified, nailed to a tree, we make a profound statement about what Jesus has done for us. If we believe that Jesus, the perfect, spotless, sinless one, the one whom, if you were here last week, we heard just how he is fully God and fully human. If he died a death that was considered cursed by God, if he did that for you and for me, then that changes things. Jesus took the death that we deserved to die. For all those who are sinners, and I count myself foremost in that, as the Apostle Paul says, all of us deserved that cursed death. The death was taken for us by Jesus, the one who was cursed for hanging on a pole. When we confess Jesus was crucified, we're not just saying that's how he died. We're saying the Son of God became accursed so that I didn't have to be. The Son of God took the right curse and anger of God so that I didn't have to. So when we confess that Christ was crucified, this is a confession that changes our behavior. How is that? Why does knowing that Jesus took a cursed death for us, how does that change our behavior today? Well, it was really lovely uh, last week when Dan was talking about, uh, he spoke about fear. He spoke about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we recognize that there are, there are some things that, that it is right to be afraid of. Somehow Jesus experienced this, this fear. He experienced it in a perfect sinless way. Jesus, who never sinned, he knew what it was to have that experience. And yet there are some things that we don't have to be afraid of because Jesus has taken them for us. For somebody who trusts in Jesus this evening... We trust Jesus to have taken the consequences of a cursed death. Then the Christian life can be one that is characterized by, by an absence of fear of death. Someone who's trusting in Jesus does not need to be frightened of death. Because we know that Jesus has become cursed for us. The behavior change is that we no longer have to live in fear. The Christian life is one where that fear of death, which, which actually comes to, to many people, the Christian who's trusting that Jesus has taken it for him or her, can say, I don't need to be frightened of that. Your behavior changes because Jesus died crucified, a crucified death for us. Let's have a look uh, at the next bit of the creed, please. And we'll say uh, this one together as well. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We move from Jesus uh, crucified to the resurrection of Jesus. 
In the creed, we confess that Jesus was fully man and fully God. But he wasn't defeated by death, but rather rose again. But more than just rising again, more than just back to life, we confess that Jesus ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. I think when people go through creeds like this, the ascension of Jesus is one of the bits that we, we often skirt over. We skip over it. So let's, let's take a moment to think, what does confessing that Jesus didn't just rise again, but actually ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, what difference should that be making to the way we live our lives today? I think the main thing here that I, I want you to hear is that the ascension of Jesus once and for all affirms both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, the, the perfect man, fully God and fully man, has for all times been enthroned in the heavenly realms Jesus will, for eternity, have a body. Get our heads around that. The body that Jesus walked on earth with will be with him for eternity. In heaven with the Father, Jesus has a body. Already, doesn't that, I don't know, we, we need to do a mind shift. Doesn't that change the way you and I need to think about our bodies? Eternity has got a body in it. Jesus has got a body, and you and I are going to have bodies. Maybe not ones that look quite like this. Uh, the details of that are probably for another sermon. But we know that we're going to be changed. We know that we're going to be uh, made new. We know that they're going to be like these bodies, but not like these bodies. We know that these bodies are a shadow of, of what's to come. And yet, knowing that Jesus for eternity has a body should change the way we think about our bodies. Culture has a lot to say about how we view our bodies, about uh, whether they're good or whether they're bad, about whether they're uh, nice to look at or not nice to look at, about whether we should be ashamed of them or not ashamed of them. I think Jesus has a lot to say about this. I think Jesus wants, wants us to hear that actually he has, he has profoundly changed the way we need to think about our bodies because for eternity we are going to have bodies. Jesus has a body. We think that our bodies are not how they should be. Well, Jesus' ascension speaks of the intrinsic value that our humanity has, because humanity was made in the image of God. And humanity will, for eternity, be bringing glory to God with a body. Do we remember how the story all started? Do we remember at the beginning of creation, in Genesis, when God said, let us make man in our image? Humanity was invited to share in that job of bearing the image of God. But we know the story, don't we? We know that humanity was given the job of bearing the image of God. And yet Adam failed. Adam and Eve 
failed. Humanity failed. The image of God that they were meant to bear was a fallen one, one that got broken. The image was marred by sin. And yet God's intention for humanity was not ruined by the disobedience of one man or by the ongoing disobedience of his descendants. But rather we hear through the actions of one man, Jesus, through the actions of a better Adam, humanity was going to be restored. The ascension reminds us that God has made humanity uniquely dignified, precious, with great value and immense worth. Jesus' redeeming work restores our nature and recreates us as the people we were originally made to be. God became man so that man might be restored to God. That a redeemed mankind in all its humanity can ascend with Jesus to heaven. Jesus has made a way. In his ascension, he makes a way that we might follow. Jesus wasn't just a, one of those leaders that's a trailblazer that kind of leaves us behind. He's a leader that says, I've gone so that you might follow. Jesus is the first fruit, the pioneer The route that Jesus takes means that we can follow. It means that that as Christians, we need to get excited about eternity. I think when I was young, I I, I worried that heaven was a disembodied spirit and floating on clouds. And I'm, I'm not sure Renaissance art does a lot to convince me otherwise. But actually, the Bible teaches that eternity is with Jesus and it has a body And it's going to be wonderful. We need to get excited about resurrection bodies. Jesus ascended to the Father as the first human to live and rule in heaven. But he won't be the last. He's the first fruit. We go to join him. Believing in the ascension should and indeed must change our behavior. Let me give you uh, two things that I think might, we might want to think about in discussions. Eternity with Jesus has a body, which means these two things. Firstly, bodies matter to God. What we do with them, how we use them, how we treat them, how we present them to the world, it matters. And we need to think through, as people who follow Jesus, how we're using our bodies in a way that brings glory to God. The Christian story speaks a better word about how we need to think about our bodies. And maybe in discussions we need to think, how does Jesus having a body for eternity change the way I think about my body? And I'll be honest, at times I don't think particularly positively about my body. How does this gospel truth change change that? How does it change the way I need to think about it and I present that to the world? One to discuss. Secondly, um, What can we get excited about the extension? Uh, We get excited because eternity is not sitting on a fluffy cloud as a disembodied spirit. But the eternal future for a Christian is with Jesus, with a body, and I have absolutely no doubt there will be cricket and football and skiing and and using our body in all its fullness. That's what I'm going to be doing. I've chatted to someone before the service who I'm pretty sure is going to be playing music and, and 
and using our bodies in a way that glorifies God. It means heaven's something we need to get excited about. That was my second thought. Okay, last bit of the creed. More briefly, I promise. Let's read together. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. The last section of the creed that we're going to tackle today, we hear that Jesus will come again. And you know, the the right response of a church that hears this, a faithful Christian hears this and has a level of expectancy. Now, a level of expectancy is a hard one to have when the church is meant to be expectant for the last 2,000 years. But we read this and we're We're expectant that Christ will come again. The church is called to be expectant because Christ is coming again. However, until that day comes, the ascended Christ has poured his spirit out on his people. God's given his church his spirit. And we're called to be his people, his ambassadors seeking to see his kingdom come today. Jesus is clear. One day he's coming back. We're to pray for that. We're to look for that. We're to be expectant. But until that day comes, we are to seek his kingdom on earth today. The first Adam was commissioned to steward the earth. But actually, as we read scripture, we know he failed. But wonderfully, Jesus, the second Adam comes and he commissioned he commissioned the church and he sent the church out he said go to all nations baptizing them the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey all that i've commanded the first adam we were to steward failed jesus second adam came and said i send you out go make disciples go see the kingdom of god come on earth God's spirit renews his image in the people once again. I mean, I'm looking out, you know, I'm seeing some faces. I should be excited because you are God's image to North Oxford. You are to image God in this place so that his kingdom might come in, that, in this location. Brothers and sisters, that's a terrifying thought, but it's also an incredibly exciting thought that God sends his spirit to live in each one of us so that we might represent him to this, to this world. That's a commission we can't do on our own, but with God's spirit living in us, we're called to do it. That, this is our commission. You and I are not here to wait around until he, re- he returns, but rather we're commissioned to fulfill humanity's great calling, the great mandate that we were given that under Christ we would see God's kingdom come. We pray it, don't we? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Saying, Holy Spirit, we want those things that are in heaven, we want to see them on earth, that his will would be done, that his kingdom would be extended. We're to be about his work that will one day be completed when Christ returns. But until that day, It's not yet finished. We're called to be his people, bearing his image in this place. How does that truth change our behavior? Two behaviors, I think, that 
I think this truth is going to bring. First one, we join in with one of the oldest prayers of the church. It's, the, it's some of the last words in Scripture at the end of Revelation. It's Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus. It was the prayer of the church that when Jesus said he was coming back, they said, right, Jesus, we take you at your word. We're going to pray and ask you to return. An expectant church is one that is saying, Lord, we live in a broken world. We need you to come and make all things new. We pray, come Lord Jesus. The second thing we do, so we pray expectantly, but while we wait, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we want to see his kingdom come today. Jesus is coming back to bring his rule and his reign. In the meantime, we are to be people empowered by his spirit, reaching out to the people around us. I'm going to pause there and we're going to have three questions uh, up on the screen. Um, how do we want to do this? I think um, what we'll do is we'll do uh, you guys on the front here. So kind of, yeah, however you want to call yourself. The people I'm waving at at the moment, uh, have it, turn in your discussion groups and have a look at question one. How does knowing that Jesus has taken the cursed death for me? Jesus' crucifixion meant he was cursed so that I didn't have to be. How does that free me from fear today? Think really practical. What does this truth we believe, how does it change things? That's you there. Uh, you guys at the front over here. Second question, how does knowing Jesus has ascended in bodily form change the way we view our bodies today? I think this is a, this is a key question, not just for us as a church, but as a culture. How does Jesus' bodily resurrection change the way we speak about bodies because there are so many hurtful and harmful lies that our culture speaks around this. And as a church, we want to speak a better story about how we think about our bodies. Tell me, how does Jesus ascending change the way we want to talk about, think about our bodies? You guys at the front. And anybody who would consider themselves at the back of church, um, you guys have got the third question. How does knowing Jesus is returning again motivate us for mission today? We look and we say, come Lord Jesus, but we also have the spirit inside us and it calls us to mission. He calls us to mission. How does, how does that motivate us for mission today?